Hey, how's it going everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 60 of the Essential X-Lapse, where I'm still on the mend from uh, my recent bout of uh, uh, waterboarding slash uh, oral surgery. <laughs> and I probably ought to start by uh, uh, apologizing for how yesterday, or I guess I shouldn't say yesterday because I don't want to like, date this, but uh, episode 59, I was quite loopy during that. I have not listened back to it. I basically just uploaded it. So... If there were any instances in that episode where I just started cursing like a sailor or just made even less sense than usual, you have my uh, sincerest apology. And uh, while on the apology train, I should probably preemptively apologize for the book we're going to discuss today, which is, uh, well, it's something. Now, it is uh, something altogether different from what we usually cover. It's it's still X-related. It's still Silver Age. It's still essential. But, um, well... It's a, a, well, I I hesitate to use the word humorous, because, um, you know, humor, of course, is relative, and boy, this is unfunny. <laughs> this is not a funny book. It's supposed to be, but, I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe Stan and Roy had a really good time putting it together. Uh, that did not translate in the work, at least not to me. Maybe... Folks back in 1967, 1968 would appreciate this more, but uh, as a middle-aged idiot in 2022, eh, it didn't really stick the landing for me. Anyway, let's get into it here. This is not brand ugh number four, November 1967 cover date. The story, it's a, you know, there's, there's a few stories in this issue. There are three, and we're only covering one. And the story is called If Magneto Should Clobber Us. Written by Roy Thomas, with art by Tom Sutton. Letter Sam Rosen, edit Stan Lee, and cover price 12 cents. And you know, when I decided to include this in our essential uh, lineup, I had a weird assumption that this was going to be like a five-minute episode. It's like, what am I going to say about a six-page quote-unquote humor strip? Now, really, there can't be a whole lot to say. And so I braced myself for a very, very short episode. And, um, well, about 16 pages of script later, I mean, there are, there's like three times the amount of pages in my script than there are in the actual story, so we might get a little bit more than five minutes out of this one. Now, the thing you gotta know before we start here is that not brand ich is not only not brand ich, it's also not funny. It's like sub what the. I mean, it might even be sub Jonathan Hickman comedy. Which, if you're following, or were following, original recipe x lapsed while Hickman was the head of X, you'll know that, uh, well, he tried to be funny sometimes, and boy, it didn't really work. Now, like I said, I'm sure there was an audience for this, and a lot of folks might have a decent amount of nostalgia for it. I, unfortunately, am not one of those people. But, of course, x lapsed is, if nothing else, an all-encompassing archival effort, so we will do our best to give it the time and respect that it deserves. Now, honestly, I wasn't ever planning on covering an issue of Not Brand Ugh. Now, of course, we do cover it as part of the bullpen bulletins and the Mighty Marvel checklist in regular, you know, episodes of Essential X-Lapsed, or I guess X-Men issues of Essential X-Lapsed. But I wasn't planning on actually covering one in any sort of long form. Until, well, until I found one that actually jumped out at me. Now, I was digging through some Silver Age bins the other day, and you know, here's a tip for all my fellow uh, back-issue trawlers out there. 
do yourselves a favor and look in or around the M section of the bins at your shop, because you're likely to come across some very fun material with the word Marvel in its title, and those are usually far less expensive than the books surrounding it. It's not, it's not going to be an issue of X-Men, it's not going to be an issue of Avengers or Fantastic Four, it's just a weird Marvel title. And for whatever reason, those really don't demand all that much in the way of uh, folding money all that often. And I'm talking things like Marvel Fanfare, 2-in-1 Team-Up, MCP, Marvel Age, Marvel Saga... I mean, heck, I happened to cross an issue of uh, Marvel Riot, which is a one-shot from the 90s last week, and the, the entire thing is a parody of the Age of Apocalypse that I never even knew existed. So, coming across that in a bin for, like, a buck, I mean, that's that made my day. So if you're in the bins, do yourself a favor and just pop over to the M's and just see what you might find. You, you may surprise yourself. Now, anyway, this time, I was in the M's, and I ventured just past into the N's, and that's where I found a smattering of not-brand exes. Which, in fairness, I do see quite often when I'm, you know, out trawling. But, um, for whatever reason, this issue, number four, jumped out at me. Well, I, I probably shouldn't say for whatever reason, because the reason is pretty plainly obvious on the cover. It features the X-Men. Or the X-Men. Which, uh, to be completely honest, made me smirk. And... Well, yeah, it's uh, also pretty much the high point of the entire issue is just seeing X-Men on there. Anyway, let's get into our Just the X-Ma'am look at Not Brand X number four. Now, our tale opens with a riff on the cover of X-Men number one. And we have our team of heroes. And, um, hmm. Okay, we got some low-effort stuff here. Now, our heroes include Angel Face, Icy Man, Beastly... Cyclops, Mar- Marble Girl, not Marvel Girl, Marble Girl, and Professor X Savior. So, uh, yeah, it's it's not funny. It's also horrendously lazy, right? I mean, Cyclops? What, what the hell even is that? And Marble Girl? Like, did I write this when I was in the second grade? Come on. Anyway, now our featured baddie, and actually our featured character today, is Magneto, which... Hey, that's like his regular name, right? Well, phonetically it is. It's actually Magnet, as in like neat and tidy. Oh, Magnet. Oh, yeah. It's it's it's, it's going to be like that. So yeah, let me let me try to describe what our characters look like here. Now, Angel is carrying a harp and has a halo because, well, Angel. Uh, Cyclops is wearing a green military cap and only has one eye under his visor. Professor X has his head in a fishbowl for some reason. And he's going to be carrying books in, like, every panel for this story, and those book titles keep changing, so I'll, I'll keep covering them as we go along here. Right now he's got two, and one is Unscientific American, and the other one is Mechanics Infiltrated. And I mean, before we get too deep into this here, I do want to say that it looks like uh, Tom Sutton, the artist here, had a lot of fun with the material he was given. So I'm totally on board with with the art. It does fit the tone of the story. It's just the story itself isn't terribly funny. So Jean, she's got pigtails and a tutu, and she's surrounded by stuffed animals because, you see, she's a g-g-g-girl, of course. Um, Now, Iceman and Beast look almost exactly like they always do, though Bobby's leg is dripping, which... Sounds a bit perverse. And they're really leaning into uh, Hank Simeon's side here, which 
I mean, let's face it, when Kirby was drawing him, he may as well have been an ape man anyway. So yeah, that's... Jesus, that's panel one. <laughs> let's move on to panel two, and hopefully the rest of this little ditty. Now we begin our story in earnest here on board a subway car, where Magneto and several other Marvel baddies are headed into work. And we've got, like, Count Nefarious, Magia Goofs, the Mandarin Black Knight. A plant man is holding a potted plant with the word Artie written on it. It's uh, Maybe it's named Artie, or it's a nod to that other Marvel editor, Mr. Simek. Since, uh, you know, uh, the letterers really got to stick together in a book like Not Brand Ech, because there is a lot of lettering to be done in these stories. And uh, the poor letterers, like the unsung hero, and, and we will get there as we work our way through this one. Now, Porcupine has a stinky fish wrapped in a Brand Ech comic book. I mean, you all laughing yet? I, I know probably in 1967 there were a lot of people running to their uh, to their stationery to write in and say, Hey, Stan, I thought you weren't going to make fun of them anymore, but uh, let's move on. Anyway, Mags realizes that he's headed up to Chestwester County. Is, is, that even a, is that even a joke? Um, okay. He's headed up to Chestwester in order to get beat up by the X-Men again. So he realizes that, you know, and you'll have to excuse me, it's been about 10 seconds since I've been on the internet, which also means it's been about 10 seconds since someone tried to look really, really intelligent by talking about the definition of insanity. So I forgot what it is. Huh. Okay, well, Magneto realizes he's got to try a different tack here in order to, uh, you know, not, not get his ass beat again. So, he heads home, and he changes into his teeny bopper outfit. Now, he dresses as kind of a foppish dandy. He's got a big hat, a sailor shirt, and a curly Harpo Marx-looking wig. And all of this, he wears over his normal costume, like bucket helmet and all, which might be the only actual funny thing in this story, and I credit that all to the artist. Anyway, his plan here is, uh, you know, if you can't beat him, you join him and then beat him. So he's going to try to join the X-Men and try to take him down from the inside. And in order to really stick the landing here, he even practices his teen-type dialogue here, including words such as dig, fab, gear, glitzy, groovy, and acne. So I suppose a uh, tip of the big foppish hat is in order for uh, Mr. Bob Haney. Now, he's going to be speaking with a lisp for the rest of his disguise time. I'm not sure exactly or exactly why, but, but he does. So from here, Mags arrives at the ex-savior school for gifted guys and gals, where he attempts to uh, uh, thine up with the ex-men. Now, after telling Professor X that he comes from money, his dad owns Fort Knox, don't you know, he's welcome to the crew with open arms. Now, the prof is uh, holding a book in this panel, just like in most panels. This book is Understanding McLuhan by Media which is a really unfunny play on Understanding Media by Marshall McLuhan. It's a book about how new forms of media affect the perception of society, and it seems like an interesting, if not a bit outdated, read. Now, Beastly is also here to welcome Mags, but he's almost certain he recognizes him from somewhere. And he has a If Lost, Return to King Kong sign taped to his back here. Okay. Uh, he also informs us that his real name is D. Real McCoy. Get it? Get it? They're, they're real. Uh, and there are also a whole bunch of X's scattered around the lawn, because I, I I don't friggin' know. From here, Magneto is taken inside and introduced to the dangerous room, which he thinks is a thuper, 
And uh, down below, we see Cyclops optic blasting Angel Face's birdhouse, and we find out that Angel's real name here is Warren Worthless III. Uh, Greeny Gray, good lord, is totally smitten by Hot Summers. She's uh, telekinetically holding up a g-g-g-g-girl comic as well, uh, called Lovey Love Comics. Speaking of comics, Icy Man is sitting in a refrigerator reading a copy of McCool Comics, which, I, I mean, Punky Brewster would be freaking out right now to see him sitting in the fridge. Now, he's also sitting on a stack of TV pinners. T- like, is that even a joke? Like, writing TV pinner instead of TV dinner? That, I mean, that that's not even a pun. What, what the hell is it? Uh, maybe it is, and I'm an idiot? I don't know. Anyway, uh, Nick Fury is also seen in this panel busting through the bottom of the room, thinking that he's in the Yellow Paws base. And uh... Next, Professor X tells Magneto that there's one room in the mansion that he must absolutely never enter. And there are signs posted all around the door, uh, repeatedly and unfunnily informing us, you know, not to try and enter, not even to look at the door. Don't even read the signs on the door. That's how verboten this thing is. And this is likely a callback to that one door in the mansion where Xavier was keeping the juggernaut back during the endless Factor 3 arc. We covered that a while ago. Either that or Roy the Boy just loves including secret doors in his stories. Now, Xavier says something even worse than brand Ech comics lie behind the verboten door. And he's bookless in this panel. He's not carrying a book. And instead has a Costco-sized bottle of aspirin as well as a jug of hair tonic. From here, he takes his new charge into the dangerous room, which... I thought we were already there, but okay, I guess not. Uh, It's worth noting that in this panel, X's book is Lord of the Rings by Cassius Clay. Get it? Get it? Hmm? Okay, now back in the dangerous room, Cyclops burns a garbage can full of not-brand X scripts by S. Lee. Angelface has laid a bunch of X eggs. Beastly is worried that he's going to miss the latest episode of Tarzam on TV. Tarzan, you changed one letter. That, that That's not a joke. TV pinners and Tarzan. These aren't jokes. Now, Ech has a brand new book here, and that book is From Russia with Love by Svetlana Stalin, in quotes. Now, this is a reference to Svetlana... Oh, boy. Isofa, oh, let me see if I can say this. Svetlana Yozovanya Ilyevya, a.k.a. Lana Peters. This is the youngest child of Joseph Stalin, who defected to the United States in 1967, the very year this issue came out. Now, she'd become a naturalized U.S. citizen ten years later. Back to the story, and the dangerous room activates. And Icy Man is repeatedly shot in the head with a Gatling gun, which he claims only gives him a mild headache. Magneto is walloped in the head by a hammer. Cyclops, for whatever reason, myopic blasts Bobby's legs? Huh? A hatch full of garbage opens up on the floor, also a pit of spikes. Angel Face gets his halo dented by an errant 2x4. Marble Girl telekinetically exits the room backwards, but it looks like she's entering because, of course, comics are known for their motion. Uh, Mags then accidentally pulls a switch that opens up a trap door, which sends all of the X-Men to the dungeon down below, which really just seems like poor planning, doesn't it? Anyway, uh, X's book here is Lord of the Flies by Willie Mays, which, get it? Like like fly balls? Uh, uh, so yeah, the X-Men are falling into the dungeon, but Magneto, for whatever reason, does not. Since they're falling, their word balloons are upside down. I mean, they're still not funny, but it's just now that they're even harder to read. 
Now, X's book, As They Fall, is called Yes, I Can by Richard Nixon, which is probably making fun of Tricky Dick for falling short in a recent presidential election bid. And, of course, this is pre-Watergate, so um, pre-putting the word gate after every single scandal, which, man, I wish I were alive for that, because, boy, oh, boy, that's like the peak of lazy reporting, isn't it? Anyway, it's worth noting, in 2012, a book called Yes, I Can was written by someone named Robin Nixon. So, okay, that probably wasn't worth noting. Anyway, Magneto celebrates his victory by repeatedly stomping on the floor. But it turns out that wildly flailing is what causes his magnetic powers to engage, and so he is immediately assaulted by a whole bunch of metal stuff, including Thor's helmet with a wig attachment, Iron Man's armor, Captain America's shield, a rocket ship, a safe, a birdcase, a suit of armor, and naturally a kitchen sink. Then... We get another panel of this, where Magneto is hit by a passenger plane, Thor's hammer, which has a note on it saying, If lost, return to the mighty Soar. Soar? Again, that's not even a joke. Uh, Now, the safe is still clobbering him, and it has a note on it which says, Aren't you glad you used Dial? Which is a callback to the Dial soap tagline. Now, clobbered and left lying on the floor, Mags hears a ruckus coming from down below. You see, not only aren't the X-Men experiencing awful torture in the dungeon, they're actually having a party down there. Uh, They are awkwardly and unfunnily dancing while listening to the monkey's theme song. Beastly is wearing a lampshade on his head. Cyclops lights Professor X's cigar from across the room. I I, I don't know, gang. Uh, Anyway, Magneto, saddened by the fact that he wasn't invited to the dungeon party, pulls himself up and walks toward... The Dangerous Room. I, I I wasn't aware we'd ever left the Dangerous Room. I thought this entire friggin' thing happened in the Dangerous Room. I don't know. Anyway, Magneto is still magnetic, and so he's got all the metal gimmicks and whatnot following him. Once he re-enters the Dangerous Room, he's then assaulted by all the metal gimmicks in there as well. He sees another lever, which he pulls, and this one is armed with a spring-loaded boxing glove, which punches him through the ceiling and into the living room of the guys and gals' school where, out the window, he sees a motley group of scurrying figures being led by a man in a wheelchair. Now, he figures that it's the X-Men, and he tries to get a better look, but it's actually the Doom Patrol. Only one of them actually gets name-dropped here. A negative man is known as Positive Dan. Okay, uh, the other Doomies, of course, are Elastigirl, Mento, Robot Man, The Chief, and on Chief's lap, Beastly Boy, a little doggy. So yeah, about as much effort went into making the Doomies into parody versions of themselves as was put into uh, the X-Men, which is to say, like, none at all. And I will uh, refrain from uh, blowing all of your minds here and dropping the knowledge that, uh, you know, the X-Men and the Doom Patrol came out around the same time and had a lot of similarities, because uh, I should probably save a blockbuster like that for, like, a YouTube video with a really, really cool thumbnail of me with, like, my mouth open, like, all shocked that I'm dropping this amazing knowledge on people. Or, or not, or not. Anyway, let's get back to it here, where Magneto heads down to the dungeon for a little put em up put em up with the X-Men. Cyclops, with a lollipop in his mouth, singes Mag's helmet with his myopic blast. During this, uh, Greeny Gray is counting. Now, her counting with Cyclops with a lollipop in his mouth, it made me want to say that this was a reference to that whole how many licks does it take Tootsie Pop thing. But apparently that ad didn't start running until 1970. So three years after this, maybe counting licks of a lollipop was like a schoolyard thing back in the day? I I really couldn't tell. 
In any event, Marble Girl loses count because, you see, she's a g g g girl and math, of course, is hard. Uh, Professor X is reading 1984 by John John Kennedy, which I, I, I don't know if there's even a reference in there. I mean, John John is JFK Jr., right? And uh, in 1984, he'd be 24 years old. Is there any significance to that? I mean, 1984 is that Orwell book that everybody likes to reference anytime the government does something they disagree with, but does that have anything to do with the Kennedys? I mean, uh, Ted Kennedy would pull himself out of the 1984 presidential race. Did uh, Rascally Roy already know that was going to happen? I, I really don't know. If you guys know, please, you know, enlighten me. Anyway, from here, Beastly gets all up in Magneto's face. He starts speaking with a Claremontian tone, which is to say... The word balloon gets so large and full of words that our baddie is literally pushed out a panel by them. Beastly then grabs his own word balloon and clobbers Magneto with it. What follows is, well, Magneto being pummeled with a whole bunch of uh, word balloons. Wildly unfunny word balloons at that. Uh, Magneto then makes a run for it. He runs past the X-Men's room and the X-Women's room all the way to that verboten door. And he rushes past Professor X as well, who is now reading My Life in Court by Jimmy Hoffa, who at this point was still eight years away from being disappeared. Anyway, like I said, Mags opens the verboten door only to find it crammed full of more unfunny word balloons. Uh, Was X-Men known for being overly wordy even back in the Silver Age? I mean, it doesn't seem to be any more wordy than any other Silver Age Marvel book, at least not to me. Oh well. From here, we finally get to our wrap-up, and it's almost like a mercy killing at this point. Uh, Angel's ex-eggs have hatched, and there are little, like, bird angels inside. Um, Marble Girl is still reading that g-g-g-g-girls comic, uh, Lovey Love Stories. Uh, Professor X is reading You Only Live Twice by Bridie Murphy. Okay, now, Bridie Murphy was the star of Beverly Hills Cop and... Oh, wait a second. Wrong Murphy. See, I could be just as unfunny as Roy Thomas. Now, Bridie Murphy was actually an alleged 19th century Irish woman who a woman in Colorado claimed to have been in a past life. So picture it. Colorado, 1952. Virginia Teague was hypnotized by her husband, amateur hypnotist Maury Bernstein, or Bernstein. Now, this trance caused her to regress into a past life where she claims she was an Irish businesswoman named Bridie Murphy, who was born in 1798 in Cork, Ireland. Bernstein would write a book about this called The Search for Bridie Murphy, which was published by Doubleday in 1956. The movie rights were immediately sold, and in the very same year, Paramount would release the film adaptation. Teague would go on to appear on a 1966 episode of To Tell the Truth. So, pretty weird stuff, huh? Anyway, we finally close this story out with Magneto going back to his day job at the car factory, where he finds himself the enemy of the labor union. Wonk, wonk, wonk. And, well, that's, uh, that's it. I mean, boy, this was a much longer episode than I thought, and we're not even done yet. <laughs> because, uh, while I don't have much more to say about the story, because, I mean, come on already... Uh, We do have um, some back matter to discuss, since I do actually own this issue physically. We have the letters page. Uh, There is no bullpen bulletins, but even if there were, we would have already covered it in in an X-Men episode. But um, in lieu of that, we could probably discuss a few of the the ads included in this issue. So first, let's get to the letters page. And the letters page title is 
this is a letters page? And, well, it's an amended letters page here. We only have three letters. So let's start with Philip in Ithaca. Now, Phil thinks that Not Brand Ech is the greatest comic book ever. And he's not, he's not joking. Like, he's, like, serious about this. He, he thinks that a comic book should be just that, comic. But, I mean, let's play that out. Let's say that even is the case, right? Comic books should be funny. This book is not. Well, he claims that he counted 19 jokes within three panels of Two Gone Kid, uh, which he claims to be better than anything Mad's ever done. But <laughs> I give up. I'm tapping out. You win. You win, Phil. Uh, now, Phil also coins the term Brech as shorthand for not brand ech. And, and, you know, I didn't realize I'd have to apologize for this, but I've, I've been hacking in your guys' ears for the past, like, half hour at this point, and I really want to apologize for that. I realized how unpleasant it must sound for me to say ech over and over again, but uh, I guess I'm, I'm giving you the full not brand ech experience here. Now, Stan gives uh, Phil the no prize for that wonderful um, shorthand for not brand ech. Uh, next up, we got John in Detroit who thinks Brech is <clears throat> the funniest, best, and most wildly satirical mag he's ever seen. Enough said. Enough said. Finally, we got Ed in Iowa who hated, hated not brand Ech. So, preach on, brother Ed. He says that it was horrible and left him bewildered. Which, I mean, no joke. And, and also, no jokes, because this was not funny. Uh, Stan says that bewilderment is exactly what they were going for and suggests that Brech will grow on Ed as an acquired taste, and he compares it to pickles, which is apt because I, I feel like I've been either pickled or attacked by one. So that's our letters page. Uh, let's hop into some ads here. We're going to start with one for Tackle by Colgate. And uh, gang, rejoice, because finally, finally, there's an acne cream for boys. Because you see... G -g 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 girls have to use something like 73 different creams. I mean, they say it right here in the ad, and they would not lie. And boys, you know, boys got, you know, biking, and they got to work in the, in the factories, and they don't got time for none of that. So, finally, you got tackled by Colgate. And uh, this ad comes with a coupon for a free one-third ounce trial version, with the, which they say is about uh, as much as you'll use in one week. And that offer is good until January 31st of 1968, so... uh Act now. Next, we have uh, well, more of a genre of ads here. A lot of coin collecting ads in this uh, in this comic here. We got like a full page, or we got a half page, or we got a few on that like little classified page. A lot of people collecting coins. Um, it seems like uh, people were like really nutty about rare pennies and stuff. One of the ads has like a very very detailed like pricing structure for how you know how you can send them like a lot of money to get like a handful of pennies back in return here. One of them is uh, 10 pennies for $1.29, which, I mean, that's 10 cents for over $10 in today's money. So, I, I don't know much about coin collecting. I, I really don't, but I don't know what, like, a 1930s penny would be worth in 1960-something. They say they're rare. Maybe, I don't know, maybe they were slagged down for, uh, for the war effort. <laughs> I really don't know, but uh, people were nutty about coins. Uh, we got another ad here which advertises that you can have a He-Man voice. It's a booklet called Voice Power and Personal Power, which you can get for free. Well, I guess the cost of a postage stamp. You need to send a, a, an S-A-S-E in to get this thing. And I tell you, I'd love to see a copy of this, but... Well, the old Google search just brings up the ad when I look for it. So, if anybody has a copy of this thing, I'd love to see it because... 
I mean, it probably goes without saying that I do need voice power. And personal power while I'm at it. Another ad uh, claims that you can brighten your bleary eyes with something called Lavoptic. And uh, it's a dollar for some eye wash. And, um, you know, I was looking this thing up to see if it was still around today in any form or fashion. And uh, I actually managed to come across a picture of the Lavoptic eye wash cup. Now, this was at the National Museum of American History website. And, um, well, it, it kind of looks like something a prisoner on a pirate ship might drink out of. Or perhaps relieve themselves into. It's it's a gross little metal cup. I don't know if you can get tetanus of the eye, but, um... Well, if there's, a, if there's a will, there's a way, and it's probably with this Love Optic Cup. Finally, we have the ABC Saturday Morning Cartoon lineup. Now, it starts at 9 a.m. with Casper the Friendly Ghost, or as I like to call him, Dead Richie Rich. Then, at 9.30, we got the Fantastic Four, followed by the Amazing Spider-Man at 10. And then you should probably just turn the TV off and go outside, or maybe, you know, work on clearing up your acne with some Colgate Tackle or something, because uh, the shows that follow... Well, I guess, I guess you can all be the judge. At 10.30, you got Journey to the Center of the Earth. At 11, you got King Kong. At 11.30, George of the Jungle. And at 12 noon, The Beatles. Then at 12.30, it's, uh, well, it's not quite Soul Train, but it is American Bandstand with Dick Clark. But I think I've wrung out just about as much uh, material out of this one as humanly possible. Um, like I said, not much to say about this story. It, it wasn't great. Uh, I think... Uh, you know, there's the tagline for Not Brand Ech, which is, Who says a comic book has to be good? Which, um, you know, there is something to be said about living up to your tagline. And uh, congratulations <laughs> to the bullpen for doing so. I will say the art was cool. I will say that some of the gimmicks in the panels were cool. And also, I really dug these uh, dated pop culture references because... Honestly, as something of a research junkie, I appreciate the opportunity to research things that I wouldn't usually look into. So things like, you know, Bridie Murphy, I would have never looked at that kind of stuff. I, you know, uh, understanding media, I would have never, I would have never looked at that either. So it's always cool to get like an impetus or a catalyst to look into things you wouldn't usually look into. So for that, I would say that this entire episode was uh, was worthwhile because um, I love research. I love, you know, rabbit holes, and uh, this gave me a few. So for that, I'd say that this was a worthwhile endeavor, though I can't speak for everybody. I can only speak for myself. So this might have been a wildly unpleasant listen. <laughs> And if it was, well, there's always next episode, right? <laughs> but um, I think that's going to do it for me today. I would like to thank you all so much for joining me down this weird, weird rabbit hole. <laughs> and until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.